0: <laughs> I'm very relaxed, as you can tell, i be stretching. Yeah. G'day, mate. What, it's been a while since you come on last. When was that?
1: The uh That was two years ago, mate, when we did the yoga course.
0: Oh, my God, they say oh, boring.
1: Two, two it's, years, bro. Don't say yeah, that, It man. was actually legit, like, two years ago. We were actually on the course then, or was it end of the month? I think it was end of the, end of the month, end of February, I think we're on course.
2: Yeah, end of Feb, and then we got back, and, and March was when the world shut down. Yes. Let's not talk about that, Bart, because that's I, I think everyone's done that to death for two years.
1: I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of fucking great things that have happened in that time, if I'm honest. Well, that's exactly what we need for to me, unpack anyway. today,
3: mate. Two years worth of yeah. stories to tell. <laughs> I mean,
2: and if there's
0: someone to tell a story, it's Cobes. Um, and,
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry, before you keep going, I keep undoing it, because as soon as you bump the fucking buttons, that's going to fuck it all. Sorry, mate. It's mum and dad are going to have a little
0: fight on camera. On, while on air. <laughs> um, so you've gone from we left you at the uh, the yoga camp, and then you went off, uh, and you've kind of been super busy. I think I think the year of twenty twenty two is going to be Sean Cooper's explosion onto the world stage, mate. You, you, I mean, what happened? You took a guy uh, who was a UFC bloke, PDR. PDR.
2: You can ask. You can ask the guess who his professional fighter
0: is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've you've taken him from. Obviously, he, he was dominating, but you've, you know, you're strength and conditioning coach for that. People are going to want to know some little intricacies and take us through it, mate. What the fuck was that all about?
1: Um, that was a very vague question, Mech, so <laughs> I'll do my best to unpack that, bro, <laughs> and give the audience mate, uh, what got, they want.
0: Mate, you're lucky you got the end of the question. Normally, I just fucking haze out. <laughs> and <then>
1: they're
3: like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, so I,
3: yeah,
1: yeah I, was, I was waiting for the rest of that. Yeah, so I left you boys on that course. Um, I got back to uh, Thailand uh, about 10 days before everything locked down and 2020 was kind of a obviously a weird year, like the world locked down. Uh, a lot of people, you know, around the world lost their lives, lost family members, lost their livelihood, etc. cetera. Um, I was already planning on starting a podcast when I got back to Thailand and like literally the day before I – Flew back to Thailand. I bought everything that I needed with the intent of, you know, doing a podcast course, learning everything that I could um, before I launched. Oh, you did a podcast course? Yeah, bro. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. I've got a a couple of podcast courses that I've been going through. So you can can hear like my first podcast episodes are absolutely terrible, but then I've been progressively getting better as I've been going, which has been awesome, man, because, you know, it's been an investment for me. Uh, And we'll kind of dive into – Um, that side of the business, what I'm doing, et cetera, et cetera, as we go through this conversation. But basically um, I got back to Thailand, everything locked down for about three months, um, March through to I think July, or August or something like that. But um, anyway, I'd been training Peter Yan who made his debut in the UFC in 2018. Uh, And we worked together for his debut as well as uh, I think the subsequent, by that stage, it would have been four fights, four or five fights in the UFC. Um, And through that lockdown period, that first lockdown period, I was actually training him. He was coming around to my place um, and I was putting him through strength and conditioning with very minimal equipment uh, in preparation for his title fight against Jose Aldo um, for the vacant bantamweight title Um, so he went away, won that fight, uh, got the title and then got a fight against Aljamain Sterling for his first title defense. And anyone who follows the UFC knows what happened. Um, you know, Aljamain came out, tried to flurry and then take him down um, ended up burning himself out and Yarn just started picking him apart, man, um, and, you know, put him on his back. I think I think he had like seven takedown defenses or something where El actually ended up on his back himself. Um, and then in the fourth round, he threw an illegal knee um, to a downed opponent. Um, he had three points contact. I think he had a foot down, a knee down, and one hand down. So, you know, technically speaking, um, you know, he was a downed opponent. Uh, Yarn threw the knee. El um, Germain put on a little bit of a show, uh, ended up getting handed the belt, um, and then, you know, I wasn't part of that fight camp. It was very obviously everything was was locked down. Because I didn't world, I didn't so. see that
0: fight. Was he he was dominating the fight? So I've been told. And then, literally, like you said, the guy sort of churched it up. And you know, Hollywood acting level twelve.
1: I mean, he, he legit got hit by a knee whilst he was down. So you know, you're not expecting that. But Jan just mistimed it, man. Um, he 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 got it wrong. He mistimed it. He's owned up to it. He's, you know, taken responsibility for it. Um, and in fact, the last fight camp where I went over to Russia and then Dubai, which I'll come back to in a moment, you know, he kind of, he, he made a joke about it through the, um, uh, through the, the public, uh, what was it? The public workout when they, you know, had the coaches, the grappling coaches, striking coaches, um, just all for the cameras, the media stuff. Um, he hit his striking coach with a flying knee <laughs> whilst he was down. So yeah, it was really cool. Funny, funny dudes, man. We'll, we'll probably dive into um the fight camp and everything, um as we go th- go through this conversation. But um his that title defense against Jermaine Sterling, I wasn't part of that camp. Uh, he normally comes to Tiger, trains in Thailand, um, does his fight camps out here. So he's got his you know his whole team out here, our whole cult- coaching staff. Which he didn't have access to. So he flew his uh, striking, his boxing coach over to America and they trained out of American top team in Florida. Um, And during the fight and after the fight, I I left it a week. I sent him a message. I said, hey, man, you know, it, it sucks to see you lose a title like that. You know, I look forward to working together again in the future. You know, we'll make sure that, you know, the work's done and um, you get another another shot at the title. Um, and he messaged back and he goes, Coach, I missed I missed you. I miss, missed the spark. I missed the power. I missed the conditioning. And his striking coach said the same thing. So um, fast forward to July last year, 2021, and I get a message from Jan on WhatsApp. Hey, Coach, can you come to Russia? I'm fighting El Germain again. I want you to fly to russia are you available and i was like "Fuck yeah bro so i walked in the office at work and i was like, hey boss Peter yarns asked me to go to russia so you know i'm gonna be taking two months off and i'm gonna be obviously representing tiger muay thai whilst i'm there so he was like yep sweet let's go
0: what does it do who pays for the flights across is that some? is it the fighter is it tiger is it yourself
1: yeah so um yarn covered everything man paid for my visa um, you know, sorted out all the admin side of things for the visa. I had to get a, um, uh, an invitation letter for a special visa to fly into Russia, um, and that was a bit of a mission as well. Just getting to Russia, um, and you know, obviously <laughs> filling out the declaration. Uh, former Australian soldier, uh, blah blah blah. So the boys were joking like, <laughs> Putin's gonna have someone on you, bro. <laughs> um, Daddy Putin. So yeah, it was he paid for everything, man. Um, he paid for the flights, paid for all the visa, sorted out all the admin there. Once I got to Russia, you know, he picked me up from the airport. We drove a couple of hours, three and a half hours, back to uh, the training camp. He'd flown in all his striking coaches, grappling coaches, myself, strengthening, conditioning coach, and his training partners. And we did seven weeks in Russia, and then went over to uh, UAE and spent two weeks in Dubai, and then a week in Abu Dhabi. So had a ten week camp, ten week camp, all up. And then, okay. uh, you know, I ended up. Uh, finding out a week before the fight that I was in the corner um, for his his title shot and, you know, it was absolutely incredible experience for me to be able to be in the corner and experience what was going on at a live event um, after the work that we put in and after the years that we've worked together. So that yeah, seems an fa- amazing experience.
0: A strength and conditioning coach in the corner of a UFC fighter, is that uh, industry standard per se or – and and I guess the, the follow on was: Is it because he saw something else in you, outside of just strength and conditioning? Was there a, a, a spiritual or an emotional? Or some, that's the question. Conversation.
1: Right. Um, yeah. So not usual. No. Um, but we have worked together for many years, and you know I uh, trained him for years for free, um, and that was part of my investment in learning my craft. And, you know, I used him as a guinea pig to test out my systems and frameworks and, um, you know, tweak and adjust so then I can apply the, those same systems to other fighters. Um, so it was always an investment for me. And he, after I think it was his third fight, he tried to pay me for one of his, one of our sessions and I was like, I don't want your money, bro. Like this is an investment for me. Um, you know, you'll pay me back one day. You'll take me to one of your title fights and, you know, I'll, I'll get to experience that live. That's enough payment for me. Um, so obviously I wasn't part of that uh, fight camp against Eljamain Sterling. Got the call, went over to Russia, um, contributed to, you know, his fight camp, played my piece, um, played my part as a piece of the puzzle uh, along with the other coaches. And he asked me to go to Dubai with him. A week before the fight, uh, his manager just flown over who also works at Tiger Muay Thai. And I was on the phone with one of my friends and my friend was like, hey, you know where are you sitting in the crowd? We want to catch up. I was like, oh, you saw Where am I sitting? And he looks at me and he goes, you're in the corner, bro. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. Um, and we'd just finished a training session. Yarn was down on the beach uh, whilst we were in Dubai. Was, we were staying at D- Dubai Marina. Walked down the beach and I was like, hey, man, thank you very much for putting me in the corner. Um, you know, what do you want me to do? And he just looked at me and he goes, coach, you control situation. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and then I went and spoke to Syat. His, his manager speaks five languages, speaks great, great English. So I was like, hey, man, like I spoke to Peter and he said, yeah, control situation. What do you actually want me to do in the corner? And he goes, dude, like, he just wants you there because of your presence. You don't need to do anything. Like his striking coach is going to be the lead. He's going to be the only voice. Like he just wants you there for your presence. And I was like, fuck, man, that's that's really cool. So, you know, it was, it was really um, – it was an amazing moment, man, to find out that I was going to be in the corner and that I wasn't really required to do anything. But I definitely felt like an imposter. I was like, we've just gone through this 10-week fight camp with these absolute killers, all these Russian dudes. Um, you know, like I, I feel like – his training partners, some of his best friends, probably would have been a better suit to be in the corner. Um, but you know, maybe he felt that after the years of investment um, and training him for free, that um, you know he wanted to reward me and have me in the corner. Um, and I've spoken to a couple of other people about this as well. I actually, did a podcast on um, the whole process a week uh, within that week after he actually won that title, and you know, I had a little bit of time to process everything and. Um, I recorded a a solo podcast episode and it was actually quite lackluster. So I got on one of my mates. He had a great conversation with him and he was just asking genuine questions. And um, that was something that came up was, you know, asking, um, you know, how how I felt being in the corner and me saying I felt like an imposter. And he was like, well, dude, like, you're a fucking sniper in the army, man. Like, you've been in these situations where um, you do control the situation. And you know he's obviously picked up on that and been like, well, you know, I want this guy in my corner because he brings something else that maybe other people aren't offering.
2: So did you drop any one-liners on him <laughs> through the fight? Through the fight, his coaches are all going, ba-ba-ba, Drop, throwing knee, throwing knee, throwing over. Did you go? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I got this one-liner. <laughs> this will make him win the fight. Did you throw any advice at him?
1: Mate, I actually did say something, um, in the four, I think leading into the fourth round, um, I was on the outside of the cage. So the two of the coaches, there's four people in the corner. There was two on the inside of the cage, two on the outside, I was on the outside of the cage and his kickboxing coach was the the main voice. And, you know, he finished talking about 10 seconds before, um, the, the bell rang to go out and kick off the fourth round. Um, and I just said, breathe control situation.
3: <laughs> good that's all you got to, it's like writing a
2: resume that's all I was thinking I'm like what what do, what do you want me there for he goes you just control situations like cool the one liner I'm going to throw out is hey Peter control the situation
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just copy and paste feed them back what they yeah. want to hear exactly man is, nah. there,
0: is there a montage like so training in Russia are they hardier people than Australians like going there we you know that that Rocky 2 I think it was Rocky 2 One it filmed in we went off to Russia and are they hardier people or, or is it much of a muchness?
1: Really? Uh I mean that's difficult to answer, man, because look at who I was there with one. Mm. You know, I was I was there with those guys and everywhere we went, every, you know, people were recognizing them. Um Jan's got like one point three million followers on Instagram or some shit. So he was putting stories up when we'd, you know, leave camp on the weekend and we'd go and um venture out and uh, you know, chill out a little bit, get some sunshine, and just you know, live a little bit of a, a normal day, so to speak. And he'd put a story up on his um, Instagram, and people would like rock up, man, and like be running along the the path that we'd just been walking along to try and catch up with him and get photos and things like that. It was pretty funny. Um, there was one guy uh, that come running up, and you know, we're on this uh, big cliff face uh, on the coast. And there was a heap of, I think it was 800, it's called 800 Steps, I think, a heap of stairs going down to, um, you know, going down the face of this cliff down onto this pebble beach. Um, It was quite steep and there was a lot of steps. Um, And we'd gone down, he got stories, put them up on social media, we swam on the beach, we come back up. And like it was a path that was going like crawling along the the coastline and people were running along trying to find him. And one guy ran up and went blah, 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 blah in Russian. And Jan said something, and the dude like just nodded and turned around and started running off, and all the boys started laughing and called him back. And I was like, and then blah blah blah, blah. they end up getting a photo, and I was like, what just happened? And they're like, oh, that guy asked for a photo. Jan told him to run down the bottom of the beach, come back up, and he'd give him a photo. <laughs> <laughs> Got to earn it, man. Funny dudes, man. They're they're real funny dudes. Like, um, you know, I, I was spending probably four to six hours with these guys every day. You know, we, we kind of lived on a. Uh, it was it was almost like being on barracks again. You know, there was, there was a heap of buildings, accommodation, lines. Um, there was a mess, um, you know, a pool, a gym, tennis court, soccer field. It was right on the beach. So, you know, we'd have all of our meals together. We're doing all the training sessions together in the gym. You know, so I'm spending four to six hours with these guys every day. And there was times when I was like, man, I wish I spoke Russian because there was, you know, we'd be sitting around the dinner table and one person would say something and then, someone else would kind of laugh and throw something back at them and then someone else would like throw something back and then the laughter would get louder and then someone else, it was just throwing banter, man. The boys just throwing banter and I was like, fuck, I wish I could contribute to this conversation because like I I've, i feel like I could. I feel like they're, you know, funny dudes and we share a lot of um, similarities just being guys and, um, you know, training hard and spending a lot of time together. It's almost like being on deployment or going through, you know, IETs or something like that. There wasn't, you share there, a lot of similarities.
0: There wasn't an Antonio Banderas Thirteenth Warrior moment where you just clicked and you started speaking Russian and <laughs> understanding it.
1: Well, there was there was one guy, a Dagestani guy, like a really good wrestler. Man, I couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying. He couldn't understand what the fuck I was saying. But we just had this like this mutual communication where he would say something and I would just nod because I felt like I understood what he was talking about. And the thing was, like you know, most communications. 70% non-verbal-ish so you know I really had to tune into those non-verbal cues
2: yeah that's what I was about to ask you like I was in Bosnia in 2015 out on the piss I think when you when you sub when you, if you're out on the piss with people you and you have a few beers and I mean I'm pretty deaf when when I'm on the piss and there's, there's music uh, and you get into subconsciously just reading body language um, mm. Did you did you notice that? Because, I mean, so what I noticed was that after about two hours with these people, I had no idea what the words were coming out of their mouth, but I knew what the intent was. And you could get mm-hmm. to the point where well, we, we didn't have to do anything. We are just two dudes in a bar, but I had, like, this English to Bosnian conversation for, like, an hour. And we, we ended up going, <laughs> yeah, like, you're just shaking your head. You're like, if you don't really know, you just laugh. And you're like, yeah, he's yep. laughing, I'll laugh. <laughs> so did you get to the point, the question, did you get to the point where after enough time with these people, you you can kind of gauge what their intent is.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know, as as I said, uh, you you pick up on those nonverbal cues, and um, you know you're reading body language, you're reading facial expressions, and you kind of. I mean, I was six or seven Russian dudes at the dinner table every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Like you get a you get a feel for the conversation, and you know what they're talking about, and. Um, you know, sometimes I'd just I'd pull it up on Google Translate and be like, "What are you guys talking about?" And they'd be like, "Oh, we're talking about whatever." And I'm like, "Ah, I felt like you guys were talking about something there because of mm-hmm. the way that they were communicating with each other." So yeah, we definitely started picking up on those things and, and tuning into those things.
2: Yeah, that's gold. Mate, going back to um, what you're saying, I, I, I hope I didn't take this wrong. I, I think I got what you were putting down. Like the world's interpretation of Russians is they are all hard. They are all fucking cage fighting. There's a hundred – I don't know. What's their population? A hundred and something million, hundred – whatever it is. It's like every male in Russia is a hardened, war-fighting fucking savage. And it's like, well, maybe. But maybe the most famous Russians are the ones fighting in the UFC and therefore mm. they give the reputation that everyone in Russia is like them. But I, I get the impression that it's like coming to Australia and going, yeah, if you're hanging around a UFC gym, you think Australians are pretty fucking tough. Sorry, I made a um, comment to Max saying I wasn't going to swear. I just realised I swore four times in one sentence. <laughs> just but in reality, you walk out on the street and the rest of the country as a whole is not anything like a UFC fighter. Is, that, is it the same in Russia? Or Is the the volume of tough dudes or hard men to soft men, is, is it higher, the ratio in Russia, than, than over here?
1: Uh, it's a good question, man. It's uh, it's definitely something that you notice like before going to Russia and immersing myself in the culture, I definitely felt, um, you know, that kind of standoffishness from, from Russians and, um, you know, always kind of wondered why that was. But once I was actually immersed in their culture and I was hanging around these guys so much, man, like, you know, you'd see them act one way in public and then they'd be, Uh, A little bit different behind closed doors, you know, when they're with their own people, when they're with their friends, you know, they're laughing a lot more. And, you know, what I realized was they're actually really funny dudes, man, that I was spending time with, you know, so um, it kind of softened up my uh, view of Russians.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. It was, it was a podcast I was looking to, listening to about a year and a half ago. I was a Russian dude and he's like, "When the difference is the reason people think Russians are, are, are harder or rough or whatever is because in normal day-to-day conversation, they just don't worry about the fluff. It's very yeah, direct and, and, and very, very unfiltered. And I, I rate it. And to give you a bit of context – I don't know if I'm ready for this on the podcast. I've, the, my la, the last two girls I've dated have both been Russian and I, I got I got suspicious for a minute there. I'm like two Russians in a row. I've never met a Russian girl in Australia before. Then I meet two back to back. I'm like, yeah, the, the buddy what do you call it, KGB's probably got something to do with this. <laughs> But at the same time, like I, I found that I got along with them way better because I prefer a conversation that is unfiltered mm-hmm. and very, very blunt and, and it, they just are. If, if they don't like – if you're going to do something, it's not like what do you want for dinner and you go back and forward for five hours because they don't actually tell you. It's like what do you want for dinner? It's like I want this. And if you can't yeah. get that, then I'm going to be unhappy about it. I'm <laughs> like that's honesty and I love it. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think I might have to go there, mate. I, I I think I might have to go there for a holiday.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a cool place, man. Um, but as I said – That was my experience is probably different to a lot of people's. If you're going there as a tourist, then, you know, it is going to be a different experience because I was seeing those guys behind the doors and, you know, they were having conversations and it's kind of weird to smile at someone in public in Russia. Really? Yeah, man. You
2: just don't do it. Oh, yeah, I don't know well, if I could do like, that. I've got to smile what? and say good day to everyone, even in why, Sydney. Why
1: the fluff, bro?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I
2: don't know. <laughs> no is that fluff no or fluff. is that just giving people like a bit of love for the day? I don't know. Maybe I'll cut yeah, away like, smiling at people and
1: see what happens. <laughs> is that how you picked up the Russian girl, mate?
3: No, and dating. apps, mate, datey apps.
1: You just smiled at her and she's like, hey, uh, no one does that back home. Yeah, baby, baby. <laughs>
2: Maybe that's the thing. We get a group of Aussie boys. We go to go to Russia. Go to Moscow for a week. Just smile
0: at every girl on the street, <laughs>
1: and probably get bashed. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> by the chicks, I'd say.
0: <laughs> so, what's the? Um, obviously, not giving you don't want to give any deficiencies away as a strength and conditioning coach for a UFC fighter. What are you? T- and I know not going right into the nitty gritty, but what are you actually teaching them, training them on as a fighter? Is it particular muscle groups? Is it movements? Or is it just can, like, what is it? Uh,
1: that is a very difficult question, Max. Uh, it depends. There's my answer. That's, no. a, good, that's um, a good answer. It, it, it does legit depend on um, the athlete. It depends on their strengths, their weaknesses, how long we've got, um, what their game plan is, who they're fighting, what organization. You know, orga- different organizations have different rules. Um, So yeah, every single fight camp is different, every athlete is different, I need to do um, an athlete analysis and and figure out what they need and again, tie in with all of those other um, variables I spoke about. Um, A lot of the time it is working on strength, stability, power, speed, endurance, stamina, energy system, conditioning. Um, If I've only got four weeks with someone, then maybe I have to run like a conjugate system where I'm doing a little bit of everything uh, in each session. I might only have them, you know, one, two, three times a week. If I've got a longer period of time, then I'm going to go through like a block periodization model where I'll go from like in Russia, for example, I went through um, strength and stability for about three weeks and then went through power development for two weeks and then transferred to uh, speed and power endurance and conditioning for About three weeks, and then it was just about tapering off and tightening everything up. But a lot of things that I do um, is about energy product or sorry, force production, force transfer, force application. Okay, so what I'm doing in the gym needs to be able to carry over to what they're doing in their uh, skill sessions. You know, if they're throwing kicks, if they're throwing punches, if they're grappling. Um, Etc. You know they need to be able to organise their body into a manner to produce the most amount of force with the least amount of movement, and allow that force that they're producing to carry through the kinetic chain, and be applied to someone's face hopefully.
2: So, do you do you get a brief from their head coach of like these? Oh, he's coming to you. He wants to come to you. Obviously, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's different every time. But but Peter Yarns obviously put his hand up and say, oh, "Hey, I want to go and train with Cobes again." Um, Does the head coach write you a a training brief or a set of orders to go, hey, these are the objectives. This is what I'm working on with him at the moment. This is what I need you to do.
1: Um, It depends. Yeah. This was a cool thing about being in Russia, man, was I was like working. I was one of the team, um, striking coach, grappling coach, strength and conditioning coach plus training partners. So we had a really good system where we'd be working together. You know, we're training twice a day. Um, if I had strength and conditioning in the morning and I knew that he had uh, you know, his kickboxing skills in the afternoon, I would talk to his coach and be like, hey, what are you planning on doing this afternoon? How hard's this session going to be? Um, blah, blah, blah. And then I would make some adjustments to my session or I'd talk to him and say, hey, I need to really put the foot down in my sessions for the next couple of weeks. I need you to back it off a little bit um, so we had really good communication between all the coaches and all the, the training partners about, you know, um, working different intensities um, and undulating those intensities so that we were working together rather than, and, and complementing each other's training sessions rather than taking away from each other's sessions. which was kind of it was a really cool experience because in Tiger, you know, sometimes you don't have that communication. There is a disconnect between um, the different coaches. So when Jan was uh, training for Jose Aldo for the vacant um, bantamweight title, um, he was doing his strength and conditioning with me twice a week and then he was doing uh, boxing with uh, our boxing coach and then he was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then he was wrestling and then he was doing MMA sessions. So he's working with, you know, four or five other coaches and every single coach is like pushing him. To the max, Mm -hmm. so then I was having to back off some of our sessions because I could see that he was dragging his heels. He was his head was a little bit low, and his energy levels were low. Man, he was tired. So, you know, I was I was looking at that stuff and um, constantly making adjustments. So, you know, over the years, it's been uh, good to tie in with the other coaches because then we we link in a lot better, and you know, are able to uh, come up with a plan together to then uh, put together the best training plan. Um, to allow him to be peaking at the right time. So for Jan, for example, he doesn't have a head coach. Like he's his own head coach. He just puts yeah, the, the right. people that he wants in the positions that he wants to then guide that process. That's a big it's, move. He's kind of like a, kind of like a patrol base commander in Afghanistan, right? He just but, says, like, I had a, I had a great patrol base commander that would just go, hey, boys, this is what we want to achieve. You know, snipers, what are you guys going to do? Engineers, what are you guys going to do? Mortars, what are you guys going to do? Security section, what are you guys going to do? blah, blah, blah. And, like, the boys would come up with a plan. Mm, Yeah, the boy. yeah, yeah,
2: I guess. Yeah, that's a big, I mean, it would be interesting to track him. It would be interesting to track him over over as he retains his belt, like, to see whether he brings on someone just to, I mean, a head coach realistically, that's just you, coordinator, and and all the other people Mm -hmm. are still plugging in. To take that on yourself seems like a fucking lot of distraction to go, hey, I've got to put together or I've got to, coordinate my own trainers but i guess i mean if, if you're good and you know what you want then that's that's
1: yeah you, you, you don't really want other people putting their finger in the pie it'll be interesting yeah, exactly man he's i mean he's got a team around him right and you know he's got all of his team that he had in russia they're all here <laughs> they're all mm. that tiger right now yeah you know, right. so he's 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 found the winning formula and he's just flown all those guys in man so he hasn't changed anything
2: Sorry, I just got to make the screen bigger, mate. Your face was getting too small. Um, how's, uh, since since yarn, I mean, obviously, any question, there's a few questions I've got coming up that if, if you've got to let too much out of the bag and you don't want to, then just tell us to fuck off. I've done it again, <laughs> just swore again. Um, how's he it been sucks. since then? Because he's, he's, yeah, I know. I, I really want to get this podcast to the point where we don't swear at all, but I'm the main offender. I've been um, trying for two years, bro.
1: <laughs> it doesn't work, <laughs> mate.
2: Everybody <laughs> many years in the Army?
3: Five, yeah, six, you and whatever—that many that. years of
2: swearing in every second sentence. You can't turn it off. <laughs> How's it been, mate? Like, if if well, how how is Peter? If, if someone else comes up and goes, "Hey, another UFC fighter, high-level fighter," comes up and goes, "Hey, mate, I've I've seen you work with him. I want you to work with me." Is he going to be okay for you to do two two known fighters at the same time?
1: Oh man, I'm working with a number of fighters at the moment. Uh, any any big names? One championship. Uh, he's fighting for the heavyweight title. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, 10th of February. So, tomorrow night he's fighting for the the Don't heavyweight tell people title. That. Everyone, championship.
2: Everyone thinks this goes out live, mate. You've just you've just ruined <laughs> now it. You put, now you
0: put the fucking pressure on, mate. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we'll, we'll end up getting taking four weeks to edit this mate they'll be like 10th of Feb what have you been doing
1: that's all good mate all my fighters would have fought by then <laughs> oh good yeah good
3: I've got
1: <laughs> I've got uh, Kane Musa who's um, co-main event at Bellator uh, Dublin in a couple of weeks time I think 25th of February uh, Marlon Marais uh, I've been training him for the last couple of weeks got another couple of weeks in fight camp um, and then a, a number of other uh, guys that have um, that that I've been working with, that I've have worked with in the past, that I'm working with again. So, yeah, really cool. That's sick. Is it a is it a projection
0: of confidence that you think? So obviously, your persona that you are, the person you are, and the persona and, w- and what you project that that level of confidence. Do you think that helps in a, in a coaching environment? Uh, and and is that the true representation of your internal dialogue? Or is that the, the you put your superhero suit on when you go to work in the morning? Or
1: no, man, um, that is who I am—the persona that comes across in whatever social media or podcast or whatever. Like, you know, you can't fucking cheat these long-form conversations, man. And in my mind, like, the more authentic you are, uh, the more you're going to attract the people that like enjoy your content and you know resonate with you. And people that don't resonate with you, then they don't follow you. So who gives a fuck?
2: Correct. You're allowed to swear as much (laughs) as you want, by the way, mate. No, that's 100% right. I I mean, everyone's got – I know Max is asking you the question, but every time he he asks a question it's it's got layers to it, I'm like, how would I have Hmm. answered this one? Not that I'm going to give you an answer because I know no one one wants to interview me. That's fine. (laughs) But I think it's like everyone does have multiple – personalities in one and it's like the one that you put across is is always consistent that i've known it's like social media and, and the way you train people and i mean realistically like when we came to thailand a couple of years ago we we'd met a couple of times before but not really and mm-hmm. and and it was it was apparent pretty much straight away especially when you went from i mean there is a little you, you obviously know how to wind it back a bit when you're not coaching but um mm-hmm. it, it, it's very authentic and i i loved it like it's and it is very Russian when I think about it. It's like your, your coaching style is very much like you're going to do it this way because I've I've learned my shit. Like I, I've I've yeah. been studying for years. I know what you need. So just do it. And you just give them black and white and it's it's no fluff. And I think it works, mate. And maybe I don't know maybe that's what attracts the Russians to to want you to train them.
1: Yeah, maybe that's a good point. Never it's really good. thought about just that. Just keep
2: doing it, mate. Keep, keep being brutal with no filter <laughs> is the point of my story.
1: <laughs> Thanks, bro.
0: Yeah. On the on the backside of all this, I mean, what's happened post post the fight and the training? Because there's a whole lot more outside of this. You're sort of gonna be up and up. There's I mean, there's a million things we can go on with. What what's been the biggest eye opener on the back of this fight for you, mate?
1: Hmm. I think Um, You kind of mentioned it earlier, man. Um, I feel like I'm almost at this tipping point with my career, you know, and I have been grinding away for almost five years I've been in Thailand, you know. So, it has been a lot of hard work. It has been, you know, I have had to persevere, man, because definitely been times where I've had opportunities to, you know, potentially move back to Australia and run a gym Mm. or go to Japan and, you know, work with professional rugby teams so I've definitely had other opportunities. Um, but I feel like I, I'm you know everything that I've been building towards is kind of coming to a head now. Um, and you know obviously getting that opportunity to go over to Russia uh, and then be in the corner for yarn after that, I had a week of um, a week of deload downtime. Um, and then I actually went over to India and did some work over there so I can't say too much on the India gig right now but I was uh, filming with a prominent uh, channel, a prominent network um, and that will be coming out in the next couple of months so that was an incredible experience as well man, two completely different experiences, um, two different uh, projects but both amazing in their own right. Uh, and once that project drops in the next couple of months I feel like you know my my reputation my brand my name is just gonna like explode especially through Southeast Asia um, and you know I, I'm again I'm working with a number of high-level fighters at the moment and I've got very little um, general population clients at the moment so my general population clients like they pay the bills they're the ones that pay me the big dollars and then the uh, the the athletes like they're paying me a reduced rate right but I'm doing that because I'm again I'm in a position where I'm building and I'm, I'm you know I'm still quite new to the combat sports world I know what I'm doing in terms of strengthening additioning um, but it's only been the last couple of years that I've been able to have the opportunity to work with mixed martial artists and um, you know take those skills and, and knowledge from my rugby background and my military background and then apply that to combat sports athletes so uh, I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. Um, I'm building out my website. I'm writing up some training programs. I've got some mindset ebooks, books um, nutrition ebooks books and um, that type of thing that I'm building out at the moment which is going to go live in the next couple of months. So maybe something we can talk about a little bit offline as well.
2: Mate, absolutely. I, I can't talk about it online but we have a digital platform that might interest you that we'll talk about offline after this is finished. But absolutely, mm-hmm. mate, it sounds sick. I mean, I, I've noticed you're always busy, which is you got to be. I've, everyone, I've of, I believe it's part of staying mentally healthy and happy is you, you don't want to be over-busy, but you need to be busy. Your brain your brain, and your body both need to be moving always, mm-hmm. and and you always seem to be. I really wanted to drill down into what happened in India, but
0: I don't think we can by the sound of it. I think that, that piece <laughs> that you, you sort of spoke about where – and I know, absolutely, mate, I've met you. I, I mean, I've, I've just your, your depth of knowledge in your field is, is phenomenal, man. So – um, but I, I spoke to another bloke. I was up in Townsville and uh, he was nothing. He was nobody, dropped out of school, dyslexic, year seven, Mass and English, stayed at home, retarded.
3: Well, you'll have to bleat that <laughs> one out. Hang on,
2: what is it? 29.30, <laughs> we've got to cut 10 seconds shit. out.
3: That shit will get
2: you. Anyway, sorry, dude, sorry to cut not, you off. That's <laughs> worse
1: than swearing. <laughs> <all right>.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, God. Um, but he, he started, he was on the dole and he rocked up to a job site and it was, it was earth moving plant equipment for this big company. And he's like, look, they wouldn't give him a job. They wouldn't give him a job. I said, nah, budget's tight. And he's like, look, I don't want you to pay me. I just want to come and get work experience. And I'll, and he, he, he said he rocked up and for months he just worked his ass off, like balls deep every day, worked, worked, worked. And then by the end of the th- three months rocked up, they're like, dude, you got a job. And then he just mm. cracked it from there. And. And I know that's not that you, but but that that knowledge of saying you you give someone that opportunity, that's your segue into the into the world, isn't it? Going like I know what I've got to offer. How do I put the cherry on the top and you pick me?
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And that that goes back to what we we're talking about earlier about that investment. You know, I had to put myself in a position where you know I was going up to these fighters and being like, hey, do you have a strength and conditioning coach? Can I put you through a training program? you know, for the next four weeks and let's see how you perform in this this next fight and, you know, that's how you build proof of concept mm-hmm. and it was years of investment before, you know, I, I was actually getting paid from these fighters so now I'm in a position where, you know, I've, I've guys that uh, have just returned and I've trained for free in the past I'm saying to them, they're like, hey coach, I want to work with you I'm like, hey man, I can't train you for free right now like I'm so fucking busy and, you know, I need to pick and choose who I'm working with and, mm. like, if you're not willing to pay, then I'm not working with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll leave I, that spot for someone else.
2: And I, I think that's, that's – like, the younger generation, we we have to – admit, like, they there's, – there's an issue. Young, The younger generation want to get paid twice as much as they're worth for doing nothing. And, and that's going to be a problem. And there was – I always get these um, people saying, like, we, we can't go to the American model of internships where the company demands you do a 12-month internship or whatever it is working for free because they just want free labor for, for the mundane jobs. And then they, yep. they they pitch it out as oh we're going to give you the experience you need to then go and get a job, that's the company dictating. That would be like a fighter coming to you saying I need you to train me for free, um, and if 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 you if I dangle the carrot for long enough, you'll get some um, some some re- return at the end of it. Like that's very different to you a fighter coming mm-hmm. to you and you saying hey I want to train you for free, because so I got to learn the ropes. I think yep. that that's yeah I, I'm concerned about the younger generation and their attitude towards. Needing to be paid like they're training the UFC champion when they just did their cert three in fitness, yeah, 100%. Man,
1: it's a you know, it's a, that's that's the world that we live in, bro. It's this instant gratification, you know, no longer are people able to you know put off that um return on investment. Mm. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Um, so the physicality you're a physical guy, rugby sniper in the army. Uh, strength and conditioning coach, you know, in, in these corners for these guys. But you're a complete package in regards to what do you do when you get your, when you go up to a fighter and they, and back in the, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you're like, hey, uh, can you fight? For, you know, can I train you? And they're like, no, I don't want your fucking program, mate. And, and constantly getting knocked back, knocked back. What, what is it? Was there tools that you used then? to help you on the spiritual or internal side to get through it? Because, um, I mean, everyone's going to say, oh, fucking Cobes, is an overnight success. You're like, nah, bro, I've been getting my dick stood on for fucking 10 years. Do you know what I
1: mean? 100%. Yeah, man. Um, like I said, when I first came to Thailand almost five years ago in June, um, you know, I was I, – I knew that I was – there was a gap in my knowledge, particularly with the guys that I want to work with and – You know, the athletes and the fighters that I want to work with. So I had to put myself in that position where I was asking these guys if I could train them and they were saying no. And, you know, I was, I had to accept that. And I was like, all right, well, what can I do to, you know, win them over? And then, you know, I'd go to boxing classes or I'd go to, you know, the wrestling classes and I'd put myself in these positions where I was fucking uncomfortable and I was way out of my depth. And I'm definitely, this is what I'm doing this year, man. I'm really focusing on, Um, Making sure that I learn as much about their sport as I can, and you know I've been doing jujitsu twice a week. Um, I've been going to MMA sparring, been going to boxing sparring, Um, and I'm gonna. I haven't lifted for, I haven't done any lifting for probably like four weeks now, Um, and I'm probably going to maintain that for the next at least three months. Um, You know, so that I can show these guys that hey, I'm I'm a fucking beginner in their world, but the base that I've built over many many years. Of you know solid strength, speed, power, conditioning, etc. Like you know that stuff all transfers over to your skills. So if I can put myself in a position where you know I can prove to these guys what's going on—not not only with myself, but um, these high-level athletes that I'm already working with.
2: Mate, I love that. That that concept has utility in almost every avenue of business and probably life. Like we. You go up to FIDO and try and pitch yourself and go, hey, right, you should let me train you and, and sell, sell, sell. Like here's, here's all the yeah. – you're like, fuck no. Like it is – sales 101 or, or business pitching 101 is, it's not about what you've got and how well you can pitch it. It's about what they need and how well mm-hmm. you can drill down on, on, on what they need. And that's that's a, that's a lesson if anyone listening to this wants to take it away. It's like don't ever try and sell yourself. Figure it – just shut up and listen for a bit. Figure mm-hmm. out what people need. Become away. Go away. Become better at that and then come back and go, hey, I've got what you need now. That hopefully yeah. someone from DVA is listening to this and they're like, it's not about <laughs>
1: what
3: you got, it's about what we need. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at going down rabbit holes, I've realized.
1: <laughs> Max is good at pulling you up, mate. Yeah,
3: good, good. No, yeah, but, but I like man, it, that's bro. A,
1: that's a that's a great point, mate. Like, and you know, that's that's why I'm I'm putting myself in that position. because, like one, I need to understand how these guys move how they feel in certain positions um, but two, like it's for my own credibility because one of the reasons why a lot of fighters didn't want to work with me when I first got to Tiger was because I didn't have any mixed martial arts experience mm. or combat sports experience, you know. So um, now's about building the credibility and, you know, having them understand that, hey, I'm willing to put myself in this position I'm going to step into your world and you can see what my world brings to yours. And maybe you want to bring your world over to my world and we can see if we can work together and and complement each other. Oh mate, that's another one that that, absolutely. And that's got utility across, across
2: different cultures as well. Like, to go, I've learned everything out of a textbook. Therefore, here's all this stuff. Like, I can, I can preach, like, this is the textbook answer. I am the expert. That's fantastic. But lived experience is pretty much what you just mm. defined, right? It's so like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be the best fighter in the world to come and train me. You just need to understand what my world is. And you've got to go mm. away and learn that. And once you've learned it, it's like, I, oh, you step in the ring, like, you can probably, you're probably a decent fighter now, but you step in the ring with PDA and you're probably going to get in a bit <laughs> of trouble, right? And so you don't need to be as good as them as them. I, I grew up watching all different sports, rugby, tennis, whatever it was, and I was always questioning, like, how do you get, how do you get a coach who's never been to Wimbledon to train a Wimbledon athlete? It's like that's not the point. You don't. You just need to understand the world, understand the culture and the lifestyle, and then you can you share some experience. And that must have been tough, like to get, because approaching fighters as a non-fighter is daunting enough. But approaching him and going, hey, I want to become someone who trained you to make you better. It's got to be a daunting thing. How old were you when you first started training fighters? Um,
1: 36 now. I was 33, I think, 32, 33 when yeah. I first got to Tiger. A few years. Yeah, mate. Would have been 32, just turned 32.
2: It's probably, I mean, the more I talk about this stuff and go, everything you're saying as far as training fighters and being in a fight kind of culture environment has utility in life in general. And then I say it out loud, I'm like, of course it does, you idiot. Like, humans evolved fighting (laughs) for everything. I'm like, but it does. It, It seems like the practices and the culture around a fight camp, fight gym, fight life has lessons that will cross cultures.
1: 100%, man. I mean, you think about sports. We grew up playing sports. All right. Like, what did you learn from sports? You learn that, you know, you're going to be good at some sports and you're not going to be good at other sports. And mm-hmm. you're also going to learn that, you know, if you put in some time, energy, effort into specific training, you can get better at those things. You also learn that, you know, you need to be a part of a team. And if you're in part of a team, you know, sometimes you're, you need to play a role as a team member. You might be the best player in the team, but maybe you get pushed to a different position because, you know, there's two other players that play the same position and they're not as versatile as you. They might not be the best player in that position, but they're going to play in that position because you can be better utilized somewhere else, right? And you're also going to learn that sometimes you fucking lose. Mm. Sometimes you put in the preparation and things don't go your way. Like sports has taught me so many things in my life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I mean, my, my oldest kid started school last week and I've across the road from their high school is this little, ah, uh, the school, sorry, primary school is this little karate class. As soon as I dropped him off, I walked in, I had to hit the blow up and go, Hey, when, when, what, what time, what's your timetable and your schedule? Cause I've got to get the young fella in here. The only, the only negative I've ever thought about was like, I always wanted him to do team sports. Cause I've always thought like team sports teaches you X, Y, Z, like how to fit, find your place in a group of people. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think? Is, is, I'm, I'm sure this varies from fighter to fighter, but is fighting a team sport, do you think?
1: 100%, man. Um, I've spoken to a couple of, uh, high level strength and conditioning coaches for my podcast recently. And this is something that we've spoken about is, you know, again, going back to Jan, he's in Thailand right now training out of Tiger Muay Thai, and his entire, um, training team is here with him, the same mm-hmm. team that he had in Russia, right? So, um, you know, he's putting the right people in the right positions to get him to where he needs to be, get him peaking at the right time. And as much as it is an individual sport, and once he, you know, steps under those lights and the cage closes behind him, it's up to him. You know, it's been a team that's got him into that position. Is there, And everyone needs to play their role, man.
0: Being, being coming from a rugby background and, and army and I think we all have little superstitions, you know, like guys doing particular things before a game and does he have soup is it overly superstitious like now nah, I've got to touch my left ear three times spin around the circle once and then go on the ring i mean these sort of superstitions do you think that's part of the reason why they build these teams and they see something
1: was there more to that
3: question <laughs> 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 that was our next question Fade away <laughs> I feel, like, I feel sleep. like I feel like your brain processes words.
2: You're like, I want to ask this. I need an answer to this, but I don't know how to verbalize. And you ask some, you put some words together and you're like,
3: where do I put the question mark? There, no, I've got a nah. bit more. There's a bit more. There, no. Uh, <laughs> shut up, Max. <laughs>
0: it's all CTE. Let's play that. Yeah, too
3: many explosions. Um,
0: um, yeah, <laughs> superstition. I mean, a, UFC fighters, do you think they're superstitious?
1: I think it depends on the person. Um, I mean, you look at when you play rugby, for example, or you step out on patrol or whatever. You know, you're always going to go through a routine. You know, we our, our days are built around habits. So I know for me, if I'm you know I'm about to step out on the paddock and I'm in the changing rooms, I'm listening to some music. I'm about to boot up, I'm always gonna put on my right sock first and then my left sock and then my right boot and then my left boot and then I'm gonna tie my right shoelace and then my left shoelace and once I do that, it's like I'm, I'm uh, triggering something in my mind where I'm like, all right, this is the, the, the habit that I go through, now I go through my routine, right? And then that gets me in the right mindset where I can then transition from being chilled, listening to music, whatever, to then now starting to visualize and focusing on the task at hand and going through the mental and physical preparation needed to before we step out of the change room and start go and start the warm-up, right? Yeah, is it so beliefs belief system? Uh that's always once once sorry.
0: Yeah, it's that belief system stuff where you go uh you look at teams who are or even tennis players, like there, there are uh, I honestly look at it and think these teams physically when you look at physically like that guy's 6'10", blah, 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 you go, even a forward pack in the scrum when they're weighing up, and I know there's a lot of skill involved, but if we can, I know we can reduce that somewhat to the argument and oversimplify it. Um, once you take away the weights and the same, in order for teams to, to be superior for 10 years, so like you know when Essendon was in the AFL or um, you know all these teams that have like, you, you see this 10 to 15 year, period where they're on the top and they're invincible. You're like, they're mm. not that different. And then suddenly they'll fall off the ladder or the belief system or they'll change some boys out. And then that belief system falls apart. Is that something that you think about as well or is that just me sitting there watching football?
1: 100%, man. That comes down to culture, right? When you build the right culture, then it doesn't matter who you have in that team, right? Because the culture comes first and then everyone everyone acts in line with that culture, like you look at the all blacks that's why they've been so dominant for so long man you know i think it was after the was it 2007 world cup uh in south africa i think they 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 got knocked out by the french and then oh uh, that they was went 99 through. i think oh
2: maybe it happened no it might have happened twice but 99 the all blacks got oh that was the actual final i think the oh mate i'm, I'm my brain's fogging up they either beat yeah. the, the french beat the, the all blacks either in the final or the game before the final no, I think the French mm. beat them before the final in '99, and then Australia beat the French. But yeah, it's happened a couple of times mm. to the All Blacks. And then you're right, I'll let you finish the story. But you're right; they they were like, "We got to fix our mindset. It's not our physicality." Exactly,
1: man. Yeah, because they they went into the game and they had this um, kind of thing hanging over them over the team about you know being knocked out in the finals, and then the French knocked them out. I can't remember if they beat them in the final or in the in the semis. But um, afterwards, they they you know went through a complete overhaul. Of the process, and mm. you know they got their um, their senior leaders in, or the senior players, and went, let's make a you know a, a leadership team, and let's give these guys a lot more ownership, um, and they that leadership team then started making the rules and and was like, you know, if you're rocking up five minutes late to training, that's not acceptable, and mm. if you're going out and getting on the piss when you know we're supposed to be on a curfew, then that's also not acceptable. And over the years, you know, having the right people in the right positions and building that culture has allowed them to, you know, allow that culture to then lead those decisions and those actions and behaviors because all the players are going to tie in line with that. And if they don't, then they're out, man. There's how many all blacks have you seen that are fucking really good players play a couple of games with all blacks and never play for them again because they've got a no-dickhead rule, right? They don't fit the team. And, you know, they 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 think that they're bigger than the team and the all blacks. Um, culture has built this um, – uh, what would you call it? Built this, uh, I guess, character where the team comes before everyone else, and, every and, individual. And the
2: same the other way. Like it, I, I noticed when over the last decade when the All Blacks were on their role, like even if one player had a, had a shit game three games in a row, he wasn't getting dropped because they knew that, mm-hmm. that that dude was part of the team and he was – probably going through shit and he's got to come through it. The Wallabies, on the other hand, it's like they play this week, they play in a fortnight, I don't know any of the players because it's a completely different team. Every game they're just changing their team. And it's like that is a team run by managers who want money, not by people who understand the culture of like unity, I guess. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean all of everything I just spoke about is in uh, a book called Legacy by James Kerr. And it talks about, you know, the culture that they created after that 2007 World Cup and then, you know, obviously what happened then, then New Zealand won the uh, 2011 World Cup and then 2015, you know, and they went on a roll, man. They just created this culture where that culture then dictated how people would act and respond and behave in that team environment.
2: And it gets – I mean, I I, I don't want to get too woo-woo, but I'm I'm – Everyone talks about mindset yes, do, and they're like, mate. I do. I love it. I love it. No, I'm a firm believer. There's, there's two things. There's energy and there's, there's this kind of uh, manifesting reality, right? The energy one we'll, we'll leave for another day. Cause that's about crystals and kumbaya. But I, I think, I think there's a lot of, my point is it's like, let's not write it off just because we haven't had another 200 years of research into it. I'm like. Maybe in 200 years we're going to find some stuff and go, hey, maybe that energy stuff needs more investigation. I think this manifesting reality needs more scientific exploration. Like we get – you sit down with a footy team or a professional athlete and you say visualize success and it will come to you. And everyone's like, I'm good with that. I I accept that as a thing. Like my coach says to me just visualize winning, visualize winning, and then you win. You're okay with that. But then you say, hey, if you sit down and you visualize and you, you can manifest your own reality, everyone's like, oh, okay, hippie. See you later. I'm like, I think we need to do more research into the All Blacks would be a great case study because they were like they had a reputation that was they beat us for the last two and a half years but don't worry in the World Cup because they will choke mm-hmm. and that was their reputation mm-hmm. and then they flipped the switch and they're like not anymore we're not and then, and then they just went on a roll and we accept that to go, oh, they someone changed their headspace and everyone's like, yep, I'm okay with that. Green tick, green tick. That fits my scientific evaluation. Good to go. And then you're like, all right, if you're having a shitty day for five days in a row, sit down and visualize having a really good day. And everyone's like, no, no, that's woo-woo hippie. I'm like, that's the same thing. We just yeah. – I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you do research on it. This is far above my pay grade. I just think some of these coaching kind of resilience and these mindset pieces – need to be looked at and go, hey, we need to start quantifying what's happening here. I don't know how.
1: Yeah. Listen, man, like, you know, you look at those professional teams and a lot of uh, professional athletes and sports teams are moving down that route of having sports psychologists. Why? Because that is a fucking, you know, a big piece of the puzzle that a lot of people, you know, up until recently have left on the table. Now, you know, obviously they're professional teams, so they're paying for these sports psychologists to come in. The average person doesn't have access to that. You mm. know, so they need to do their own work. That means you need to listen to podcasts, you need to read books, you need to do your own fucking study and research and talk to the right people that, you know, is going to put you in uh, you know, the right mindset that's going to allow you to manifest the thoughts, the actions, behaviors, the habits that you need to put into practice every single fucking day to get you to where you want to be.
2: Mate, that that argument, I I am going to take this out as a clip because we, we need to push that to, to everyone, not just DVA, but like the psych industry in general. At the moment, psychs are taught how to dig up your trauma and try and put a Band-Aid on it or fix it. That's fantastic. I look at it and go, Let, let's treat them like a PT and go – you are going to go – if you've had an injury, you're going to go to an X phys I get it. You need a reactive recovery model. That's fine. That's a very small percentage of the population. Most people are going to a trainer because they're like, I just don't want to get diabetes and fucking explode because I'm getting really mm-hmm. fat. And it's like, cool. Are you going there to dig up the negative and just try and put a Band-Aid on it or are you going to go there and the PT is going to be like, you're at the shitty end of the spectrum. Let's get you to the fit end of the spectrum. That's what mm-hmm. everyone's doing. That's what a sports psychologist does. It's like no matter where you are, I want you to be the optimum, high-performing version of yourself. That's what in my again. This is just my opinion. Every psych should be operating off that model. You go in, and you're like, "Hey, I'm pretty depressed. I'm down." Blah blah blah. It's not like, "Hey, let's dig up the trauma." It's like make me a high-performing, happy version of myself. That's mm.
1: that's yeah, but that's simple. That's, that's but, the issue, man. Is like people go in and they talk to a psych and they and they they say, "Hey." make me the happy version of blah, blah, blah. No, you need to fucking take responsibility and do that yourself. Yeah, You I think- know, because talking about what you said then about, you know, people going and talking to a psych and it's normally reactive, mm. you know, as a trainer, a lot of the times when I do have general population clients come to me and they're trying to make changes in their life, it's because they don't like where they're at and they want to move away from something and it's reactive, Right. When I'm working with professional athletes, it's proactive. We're looking ahead. They need to prepare for something. So we need to get there. It's moving towards Mm -hmm. something. Two completely different directions, man. One's moving away from something. Once you're far enough away from something, you stop moving. If you're walking along and you're about to step in dog shit and you smell it, you move far enough away where you don't smell it anymore. Okay, yeah. you need to keep moving.
2: I, I agree. I agree somewhat. I, th- I think it's all the same spectrum. So down one end, you're obese, you've got diabetes, you're about to explode. Up the other end, you're winning belts around your waist because you're the best fighter in the world. That's the same spectrum, but you're 100% right. It's about which direction you're looking at. So the further you go from center to the left to, to the obese end, you go, hey, I just want to push that wall away. I've got to get back up that end a little bit. But you're, you're focused on... The dying end, whereas the fighters, they're so close to the high-performing and that's all they can see. There's no way mm-hmm. PDR wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and goes, if I if I have another 5,000 days of eating shitty food, I'm going to get diabetes. Like he's not even worried about that end. But, I mean, I, I just want to see a world where psychs look at the full spectrum, not just middle to left or middle to right. I think
1: that would solve some problems. 100%, man. I absolutely agree with you. But when do you have access to a psych?
2: Oh, that's it's the big problem that is enough. the number yeah. one friction point there's not enough and there's not enough the ones that are there aren't qualified and i get i guess again i'm half of these podcasts is just me processing ideas and and using well, it's, getting guests uh, information that's to, how we organize our thoughts exactly thought. exactly and i think um we have at the moment we've got trainers like yourself who are you you do some of the middle range stuff but you are focusing on high end clients and you are looking in that direction. That is the equivalent of a sports psychologist, I guess. And then all the other psychs that you go and see are in the middle. I don't know. I mean, I, I have never been done a psych degree. Well, I
0: mean, you can't flex. You bring this up all the time. You can't You can't flex your mental health. Mm. Uh, and and so when you're sitting there and you're going home and you're knocking back, you know, a can of piss on it over a weekend and it's not until the wheels fall off that you're like, well, fuck, mate. Instead of being like, no, I need to sort some shit out. And I think that's high school really just teaches you – you know, some real basic shit like how to write some words down. In my case, not so much. Um, maybe some social sciences, some real basic shit where you can go out, pay some taxes and literally be a taxpayer for society. But it doesn't teach you what Codes was saying and, and what you brought up before is that um, how do I make myself better? I need to read, I need to do podcasts. It doesn't teach you these healthy habits to succeed in life. What it does is it teaches you to be a what the, this current system appears to be without... Uh, the elders around to, to teach these people is be a taxpayer, pay taxes, don't die until you've mm. paid enough taxes. We need to teach people like Hobes and yourself to succeed, to optimise your performance mm. and these other things that you can learn that you don't have to learn when you're 40, having a midlife crisis, two marriages and go, why didn't she like me? Because you're a cunt, mate. Oh, oh
3: he's dropped <laughs> it. The big <laughs> one. Oh, well. oh, well. There goes that podcast.
2: <laughs> But no, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. The the social model is, is what needs to be looked at more than anything. How we how we, oh mate, you're the segue master. How we bring this back to training fighters? I don't know. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I think it's a belief system cover and, and I think what you've done, your persona, your 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 knowledge, you've all these things we've spoken about, belief and, uh, you know, superstitions, but. The belief structure, he believed in you and you were part of his system and his superstition to to achieve that. And I don't know, looking outside, looking in, um, mate, like I said, and and we, I'm privileged to get to know you from a personal perspective and I don't have to pay for your 20-minute, you know, conversations, but – I think you've achieved it, mate, and uh, I hope people don't – they give you the credit they do in the next couple of months and they don't start sprouting off the overnight success ship because it's just not true, mate, and especially knowing what you went through even to get to Thailand and the decisions you had to make to start this life, mate. So,
1: yeah. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that, man.
2: I do have, I do have one that question that – so me asking questions after that is going to sound like we're jumping all over the place, but do we – I love the concept of holistic health, right? So, but for me at the moment, my stage in life, I'm 36. I don't have any ambitions to become a professional athlete. Um, I want to optimize myself so that I can just raise kids, be live as long as possible, as healthy as possible. And uh, to steal. draw, uh, uh, what's his name? Sisson. what's Sisson's first name? Mark, Mark Sisson's line um, was, I just want to look good naked when I'm old. And I'm like, I, th- I think that's where I'm heading. I have no grand ambitions. So my, I just want a holistically healthy life, both mentally and physically. Do you find that professional fighters, whether it's Petey Arnold or any of the other fighters you've, you've, you've trained, did they put parts of their life aside to be obsessed with fighting or are they well-rounded, holistically healthy kind of people?
1: Great question. It depends. Uh, Someone like Jan, for example, when we were in fight camp uh, in Russia, you know, his family wasn't there. It was just us and we were just focused on the task at hand. Um, You know, we're constantly looking ahead. This is where we need to be on this date. Um, You know, everything that we're putting in through this training camp is going to get him peaking at the right time. That means no distractions. You know, but then obviously after that, after the you know he shone under the lights, he got the belt wrapped around his waist. Um, you know he had time off with his family and spent another week or so in Dubai, and then went home. Spent a, a little bit of time at home and kind of unwound, and you know really dialed back his training and um, kind of just lived, man. Um, but you know this is something that he's done over many years because he, he has figured out that you know there are seasons of life, and if you want to really um, excel at one thing then you need to invest everything into that thing and then remove all other distractions. But then there's going to be a point where, you know, there's a point of diminishing returns where you need to then step away from that, rest, relax, unwind, um, go through a period where, you know, something else becomes your number one priority. And then, you know, once you get another target, once you get another goal, once you've got another date, then, you know, you make those adjustments. So, you know, life is all about prioritizing man you know we have priorities whether we name them or not Mm. you know and that shows up in what you do on a daily basis and if your priorities are you know watching Netflix as opposed to um, getting sleep you don't need to name that man like it's already fucking happening Mm. right so um, I think looking at different seasons of life constantly uh, assessing what's actually important to you Um, And then aligning your actions to uh, tie in with that. I think that's absolutely essential, man. And, you know, that's a fucking never ending process. You're always looking at that. You're always looking at um, everything that's happening in your life and, you know, you're trying to juggle those balls. And if you try and juggle too many balls at once, you know, you're going to drop something. Mm. So, you know, looking at a couple of priorities and going, right, where does this sit on my list of my hierarchy of values? How can I then start? uh scheduling my day to tie in with that
2: absolutely mate love it sorry max i knew you were trying to wrap up because we are on the clock we've got the boys in england coming up next and i i I saw you trying to wrap up and i'm like no i've got to get this question out i don't care (laughs) how long it takes
0: mate no look that was just i mean that is an honest uh assessment of, of, of what i've looked at the outside looking in mate and uh like i said i really appreciate the time man it's been back and forward um Amazing to watch and live vicariously through you. And uh, we'll keep getting you on if we can get any insights as we go along. And, and look, if there's any, if there's an opportunity while you're in a camp and you want to send some odds our way for um, the <laughs> let us
3: know, mate. <laughs> no, Yard, mate. if yards going into the next fight with a broken rib, let us know. We'll go heavy against him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> bet on him,
3: mate. Yeah, that's probably right. You bet on a Russian <laughs> with a broken rib. That's probably a good bet. <laughs>
0: No, mate, uh, Mate, always a pleasure to have you, mate. Wise, humble and uh, educated, mate. Thanks very much. Love you, mate.
1: Thank you, boys. Really appreciate it. Love your work. Cheers, bro.